Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. On this episode, we put a wrap on 2023 and talk to Top Fuel Championship crew chief, Alan Johnson. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. There's some big news coming this week. Maybe next, we got rumors, gossip, and more as we move out of 23. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Loans, and we are here for the final episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast for 2023. We have made over 50 shows this year, including the live shows that Tony Pedregon and I did at several races nearing the end of the 2023 season, something we're going to continue to do in 2024, getting people, racers, crew chiefs, you name it, in the pits, talking to them live at the events. It uh, was a great addition to our portfolio here for the NHRA Insider. And, of course, we'll continue on with our weekly uh, both video and audio. This will be an audio-only show as we close out this year, but... We'll continue on with the video element as well for those of you that uh, like to watch on NHRA.TV or on the NHRA AVOD or what we call fast channels that are popping up in places like Plex and the Samsung app and all over the uh, world of ever-evolving television. Alan Johnson is my guest on this particular show. We'll get to Alan in a few minutes, but uh, certainly want to talk a little bit about um, you know some post-PRI news, some post-PRI rumor that's going around right now, and some interesting stuff that is going to hit either just before Christmas or potentially just the after the Christmas holiday um, as we are now in the middle stages, middle end, if you will, of December, creeping ever closer to the beginning of the 2024 year and the 2024 drag racing year as well. Um, you know, if we dive into some of that stuff uh, right off the bat, um, my understanding is there's going to be some rules revisions coming for the pro stock category potentially this week, um, maybe announced late this week. And again, that could be coming late this week or it could be, be coming early next week or even into early January. But uh, there's going to be some edits made, if you will, to the pro stock rules. And I think they're going to strike. Um, I think I'm going to strike people is kind of interesting because, you know, one of the things we tend to learn about pro stock is we learn what people are doing mostly post-fact by rules adjustments. Um, you know, in the early days of the fuel injection era, after that first season, we learned that NHRA had to make a rule that stated all the fuel must specifically pass through the eight fuel injectors that they're allowed to have in those engines. Um, as teams had read the rule book, as teams are wont to do, found some loopholes and found other ways to get fuel into those engines. So they closed that loophole. But as we know, racers are racers, Pro stock racers being some of the most brilliant in terms of engine building uh, and operating inside what is a very tightly confined box that they are able to uh, operate within uh, the rules package. So um, we're going to find out exactly what the tech department is editing this week and, and kind of what they are looking to uh, dissuade teams from continuing to do. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see exactly what those um, what those changes are. Um, and when we talk about pro stock engines being naturally aspirated, obviously the intake manifold, as we have long known in that category, is um, you know a deciding factor between somebody who's fast and somebody who might not be that fast. I think there 
are only so many places anymore where you can get creative in a pro stock engine. Of course, the camshaft, the mechanical brain of the entire thing is a huge part of that. But camshafts outside of the you know prescribed um, diameter, if you will, allowed in the category, um, you can kind of go hog wild in your camshaft grinds and, and what you want to do there. But you know, really when it comes to introducing air and fuel into the engine in the most efficient way, that is where people get creative. And I have a, have a, a feeling that we're going to hear some, some intake manifold rules and maybe some stuff that uh, even further regulates what happens uh, with the introduction of fuel and air into the engine. So that's it on the pro stock front. On the nitro front, um, and again, this is uh, rumors floating out in the atmosphere, um, look to hear about a driver change coming in a, uh, a well-known funny car. Um, look to hear potentially of some, some more crew chief stuff going on as we know it's that time of the year. And as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, um, depending on when contracts are terminated in terms of, okay, this guy's contract ends at the last race of the year or this guy's contract ends January 1st, um, th- these things still have some legs left to kind of shake themselves out. So, you know, that's kind of what I've been hearing on that front. Um, and that news will be coming out of the funny car uh, category. Certainly still dealing in a positive way with uh, everything that happened at the PRI show. And uh, it's it's almost immeasurable. I mean, there's been so much going on. John Kern has done a great job of getting into those shops in Indianapolis. Um, we got the first kind of video of uh, Ida Zedestrom sitting in the top fuel dragster, working on some of the fitment stuff that they'll be doing with her. Uh, as part of the JCM racing team. And so I think there is um, I think there is just plenty to still be anticipating over the next couple of weeks. Um, I don't know how big ground-shaking shockers they'll be, but if what I'm hearing on some of this stuff comes through, um, it'll raise some eyebrows and probably raise some some smiles and certainly um, certainly get us talking once again. And you know over the course of this season, um, on the NHRA Insider Podcast, we have done a lot of stuff. We have uh, broken some news. We have uh, fed the rumor machine. Uh, we have confronted topics. We have been confronted with topics. Uh, we have had uh, our fair share of controversy, and um, I think it's it's everything that um, I kind of want this show to be. Um, I want this show always to be a, a place where we can get uh, into the trenches. We can um, you know go to go to places discussion wise that. Um, that uh, maybe don't get touched in other places. We can do and say some stuff that may occasionally get us uh, dragged around the back of the hauler and and uh, tongue lashed or whatever. But I think you know, for us and in in this sport, uh, continuing to to kind of beat that drum of um, of getting it out there, having these conversations, uh, sometimes not the most comfortable ones, is a good thing for our sport. Uh, everything, as we all know, is not hunky dory every day with every team. Um, and you know, professionalism being what it is, I understand certainly why a lot of the reasons why, you know, the, the public front is what it has to be on teams. It doesn't matter whether it's a football team, whether it's a drag racing team, um, leadership, you know, typically needs to praise in public and you need to admonish in private and, um, you know, being able to, to kind of keep tabs on, on how things are going, where things are going and what's going on in this sport is, uh, is an important thing. And it's a really fun thing to do on a week-to-week basis, whether we're talking about the results of races, whether we're talking about the trends that different teams are experiencing throughout a particular season, 
whether it is identifying stuff that may be working well for other teams, whether it is identifying some of those rumors about personnel changes and new people coming, um, and whether it is addressing you know some of the stuff we hear that eh, maybe is is not exactly one hundred percent accurate. Um, and you know, I think that um, I think it's just it's been a lot of fun. It will continue to be fun. And, you know, the reason we have 50-some episodes this year is because there's always something to talk about in this sport. There are people who think that, well, you know, what could possibly happen on a week-to-week basis to warrant um, an hour, hour and a half podcast each week on the sport of NHRA drag racing or drag racing in general? And the reality is, I think if you go back and look at every one of the episodes we made this year, there is topical, interesting discussion in every one of those shows. Uh, we're not sitting here twiddling our thumbs, and um, that is one of the reasons why a lot of people listen to this thing. And, um, you know, the old Howard Stern movie, if you ever watch the movie Private Parts, there's a section of the movie where Howard Stern's general manager at the radio station in New York wants to have him fired. So he has a survey done, and the survey results come back. And, of course, what he is hoping to hear is that everybody hates this guy and he could finally throw him off the air. And what he ends up finding out is that uh, you know, 30% of the audience listens for an hour and a half because they want to hear what he's going to say next. And then this massive percentage of the audience and they love him. And another percentage of the audience listens because they're annoyed by him and they want to hear what he's going to say next. And, you know, the idea is not to annoy people. Obviously I, I am not, uh, nor is anybody else around here in the business of doing stuff that is annoying to people, but, uh, we are in the business of making an entertaining show that is informative um, that is honest and maybe peels the curtain back a little bit further than it has been in the past to talk about NHRA drag racing. I personally look back on 2023 and see a season um, that is uh, one of continued growth. I think if you look at what NHRA looked like five years ago um, in terms of car count, in terms of stuff we were doing, in terms of you know creative thinking and that type of thing and what we're doing now, it's a lot different in a positive way. I think we have done... Uh, very good things in terms of improving the show, so to speak, for our fans. Uh, Jason Logan's a guy who um, not only is he fun to hang out with, he's a guy that brings a lot of entertainment value, loving the in-venue music. Some people don't like it, but frankly, a lot of people do. When I look out the windows of the of the booths we're working out of at any particular racetrack and see people like dancing in the stands, that means it's working. Got to talk to a lot of fans last week. I went on the NHRA Power Tour West uh, or rather the Hot Rod Magazine Power Tour West where we visited three NHRA drag strips. We went to Irwindale, we went to Las Vegas, and we went to Pomona. Uh, over 1,000 cars at each venue. I think close to 2,000 cars came to Pomona. We're talking hot rods, street rods, supercars, muscle cars, trucks. You name it, we had it. And I had my NHRA jacket on because it was uh, tended to be chilly in the mornings. And I got to meet so many fans. Uh, it was shocking in a great way. The amount of people that came up and said, oh, man, I love watching you and Tony, or oh, man, Doug Coletta, or oh, man, Gage Herrera, or oh, man, this this is screwed up. Any trade needs to fix this. Why do they do this? It was awesome, and it shows just how engaged our, our fan base is, and it's a fan base full of hot rodders and, and people that truly love the sport of drag racing. So um, I look forward to taking 2024 uh, on, taking that bull on by the horns. Um, I look forward to all the stuff that we talked about at PRI whether it's new names and faces, whether it's uh, us going back to what is now Firebird Motorsports Park, um, going back to Virginia Motorsports Park. Uh, we're obviously going to miss places like Bandamere Speedway. But one of the other things I wanted to mention here is that um, 
we are gaining drag strips back. And for those of you that have not heard the news yet, Huntsville, Alabama is opened again, had been closed, reopened under new ownership. Kansas International Dragway was closed, is back under new leadership. Obviously, um, you know, Firebird Motorsports Park was closed. We didn't think we were going back there. We are. We can talk about the new street legal drag strip that was built in California. We can talk about the new Flying H drag strip that is being built in Kansas City, Missouri. And all of a sudden, we can kind of look around and say, wow, we definitely took some body blows around here the last couple of years, but we're seeing creative, motivated, driven people putting it out there on a business uh, line, if you will, to reopen drag strips that have been closed and to foster drag strips that are open. We had great track operator meetings at the PRI show. A lot of great information was shared. And um, I, I look at this sport in this moment and, you know, there's the argument of it's never been stronger or it's never been weaker or it's never been this or it's never been that. I, I can't necessarily say one of those things is true or false, but what I can say is that I can look at my own perspective in the sport and my own time in drag racing, and I can look and see a sport that is still vibrant, that is still energetic, that is still full of people that are working hard every day to make it better, and that is full of more options and more places and more ways for people to go drag racing than really has ever existed. Um, look no further than the trend of back-of-the-track races that are going on around the country right now. Not something that was going on 10 years ago or even really five years ago. Um, you know, I tend to be a, a kind of a non-agnostic, uh, drag racer in terms of, or an agnostic drag race, however you want to say it, um, non-denominational, let's say that, um, I have owned the mindset that there is no such thing as bad drag racing, kind of like pizza. Uh, it is still pizza. It is still drag racing. It may not be your flavor. It may not be your preference, but it is something that is keeping a racetrack operating and operating in the black to allow you to experience your flavor, to allow you to experience your preference. A drag strip, and as we continue to learn this in the modern world, a drag strip has to continue to be basically everything for every minor, minute, wild, weird, and odd uh, segment of this sport, of which there are dozens, if not hundreds. And so more and more tracks are doing things to keep that fan base coming in, by servicing different aspects of the drag racing community, of working with their own local communities to be good neighbors, and look no further than um, In-N-Out Burger Pomona Drag Strip, where this year um, I was fortunate enough to be there the four times that it was operable, operating this year, both for the NHRA Winter Nationals, the In-N-Out Burger Finals. I was there for the 75th In-N-Out Burger Anniversary, and I was there for the Hot Rod Magazine Power Tour West just last weekend. And the trend there, um, in my understanding, is working very hard with the local folks and uh, the local cities to have that place open more next year on a street legal style basis um, to allow you know the, the very hungry market that is Southern California a place to come drag race that is you know local, quote unquote, to them. Of course, sometimes it can take you know, three hours to go 10 miles there, but the idea that uh, In-N-Out Burger Pomona Drag Strip um, can be, potentially will be more more frequently operated next year to me is just uh, it's a great piece of news. Another great piece of news and what has been an incredible couple of months here at the end of 2023. So I guess, you know, that's my ramble. 
Um, and again, we'll keep our eyes out for that pro stock news. We'll keep our eyes out for some funny car news, but I think we should get to our guest. He is the championship crew chief for Doug Coletta, the man who won his first top fuel world championship in stunning fashion in Pomona, California. His name is Alan Johnson. So please join me for this conversation with the man himself, the multi-time crew chief world champion, Alan Johnson. We have our guest on this show, Alan Johnson, the championship crew chief with the Mac Tools Top Fuel Dragster and Doug Coletta. How's things out there in California? Absolutely beautiful right now. <laughs> that that is a good thing, and and I imagine the sun uh, the sun probably always shines a little bit brighter in the off season following a world championship. <laughs> yeah, it can. Yeah, <laughs> let's For talk. Sure. It's better than better than the alternative. Uh, that's an absolute fact. That is an absolute fact. And and you know one of the first things I wanted to touch base with you on is the fact that. Um, the championships you've won with some of the highest profile drivers in the sport. This one certainly seemed to have hit different with our fan base. Have you been around anybody that was as universally loved as a champion as Doug Coletta was on Sunday at Pomona? Uh, no, probably not. I mean, that was exceptional. You know, it's, um, you know, typically, you know, towards the end of the day, a long day like that, a lot of the fans, you know, kind of take off and maybe listen to the rest on the radio or whatever. But I think everybody stayed. I don't think anybody left because they wanted to see who they wanted to see if Doug would win. And, um, man, they went crazy after he did. So that was pretty spectacular. That, that was really good to see. And, uh, yeah, we, we certainly did appreciate the fan support. It was great, and even among the fellow competitors, I mean, I think it's a very rare thing, and it certainly shows a level of reverence and kind of respect everybody has for the guy. Um, you know, we saw really hard-nosed competitors like a Steve Torrance go out and look straight into the camera and basically tell him to go win the thing. I, I find that to be unique, and I think that speaks a lot to kind of about who he is and, and how he has raced. Yeah, he's a great guy. You know, he keeps to himself. Uh, he doesn't steer up any conference, you know, any controversy or anything like that and he's certainly paid his dues you know he's been at it for a long time and it come close so many times that um he certainly deserved to win one when we watched him kind of the semifinals maybe really second round semifinals and on he's he's obviously as you mentioned he's a calm guy he keeps to himself but there was like a noticeable kind of energy around him. He was really enjoying this and I think that was a cool thing to watch like there was not an ounce of that guy that that wasn't I think kind of relishing this moment of being able to run for the thing and kind of have it come down to the wire. Yeah. You know, it's funny how uh, a little bit of confidence goes a long ways. And, um, you know, towards the end of the season, the car started running real well. Uh, crew started clicking pretty good. You know, there were very, very few mistakes. And when that happens, the driver starts, you know, getting emboldened from the confidence. And I think that showed through on Sunday. He just had a tremendous amount of confidence. And, and as the pressure increased, he he just got better. And um, that was you know, obviously that's what it takes to win championships. So he pulled it off. And uh, hats off to him. He did a great job. Yeah, let's talk a little bit on the on the crew element because you know the dynamics of these teams is is such an interesting thing, and um, it, we watched this car really kind of mature through the year. And I think you know to some degree that the Western Swing with the back to back finals was a moment, um, at least outwardly looking in, going okay, like these guys clearly have what it takes to potentially go the distance. Starting to put races together like this was that Western Swing also a moment for the crew in your eyes that really kind of gelled them over, or was that simply uh, just a, a product of, of good work? Yeah, I yeah, you know, all all the work that went in, you know, for the year and a half leading up to that was um, that was all instrumental stuff because you know they 
we everybody had to get trained on the way we do things you know the, the way they did things up in michigan was different than so we had kind of changed the whole mindset on how that how that works and um it took a little while for that to all gel but then as we went to a couple finals went to the final in denver went to the final in, in seattle and you know going four rounds on sunday um that exposes some stuff you know because you know, if you're not used to doing four rounds on sunday you don't know what it's like going gotcha. to the semis the final round and and that was just a good dress rehearsal for those guys just expose maybe our weak spots and um and, and the confidence that they could get it done so um those two races were really important um leading up to uh, the countdown in terms of you know the hands-on you know leadership day to day of the of the uh, the crew guys uh, that would seem at least in my eyes to fall um, really on the shoulders of Brian Hewson and and I wanted to talk to you about why you two have been such a good kind of side by side tandem. I think it's rare in this sport to find two people that have had the longevity and success that you two have had together. So what is that energy between the two of you? Well, you know, we've been together for such a long time. So, you know, he he actually worked for me um, back in like 2001 for a short stint on one of my funny cars. And um, then he ended up uh, uh, moving on. Uh, but then uh, he was at the Army team when I joined that team back in 2003. So since then, we've worked together from 2003 all the way till you know, for 20 years, right? So he knows how I think. And that's and I, and I know how he thinks, and he's really good with the crew guys. You know, he he, he does a great job there. I mean that, and and he does. He has he's very organized, keeps great records, uh, and he's just you know he's really really solid. And so and there's been times when you know like uh, 2021, um, I had COVID for a couple races and I I couldn't make it, so he ran the team on his own, and he would just call me uh, on the phone and if he had some issues or some questions and and you know he actually won bristol without me there i mean there was a couple times we had to interact um when um uh, uh there were some big changes in the atmosphere and so that that was kind of a group decision on what to do but for the most part you know he was running a team on his own he did a great job yeah and that's uh i mean that's got to be kind of a nice point of of pride for you as well i mean that's got to be something that um when you know, I think everybody, if you run a successful business, everybody says, well, if you're a good manager and you're, you have good people, if you get hit by a train, the business keeps running the next day. And so do you kind of feel the same way in that, that Bristol moment, being able to sit back and go, you know what, this guy, this guy's got it, or, or we really have put together something special here? Yeah, for sure. Uh, absolutely. That makes you feel good that, that, you know, somebody like that who's been an understudy, I suppose, for, the, yeah. for lack of a better term, for a long time, is able to go out there and, and handle it and, and you know that our sports probably right now currently is probably a little bit short on um, really good crew chiefs. Yes, and so um, I think there needs to be uh, a lot of that understudy stuff going on over the next couple of years because you know we're gonna have, we're gonna have an influx of some more teams, and and when we do, we need some qualified crew chiefs to run them. Yeah, and and that is something that I think. In any leader, it requires some confidence, right? It requires some confidence to be able to, to to reveal some stuff or to teach somebody something and not be constantly worried that they're going to sometimes, you know, maybe turn around and use it against you to some degree. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, is that is that part of the problem at, at some point where not enough of the experienced guys are willing to crack the books open to give 
some of the younger guys a shot? Or is it a situation where, frankly, we haven't needed to do that for a few years and this is a good problem for us to have? I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I, I think there's maybe a little bit of that going on. I mean, that's not, that certainly doesn't enter into any of my thinking. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I just soon teach everybody how to do it because it's, you know, it's a great sport and we need as many qualified people as we can. So I don't have an issue with it. But there's some guys that, that you know, kind of hold their, like, personal tune-up close to the vest sure. and, and don't don't let don't like to let that get exposed but over time it's hard to keep anything like that a secret because crew crew guys come and go and it's hard so i don't even bother trying to keep a lot of that stuff a secret (laughs) you know yeah no it makes sense and like you said at the end of every year we certainly see the toolboxes roll around and and some of that information you know germinates in, in other places um how much of this, as much as much data and as much acquisition and technology as as you have at your fingertips, how much of that that final decision is at some point a gut instinct? I mean, can you know how do you I guess avoid being paralyzed by the numbers and graphs, and then kind of sometimes fall back on on what you know from your experience? Uh, yeah, that happens a lot actually, um, because yeah, you you can go by the numbers, but that doesn't always work out. Some you know because. You know, you never know exactly how good the track is. You don't, exa- you know, you don't. I mean, as many, as many, you know, wazoo, you know, chess <laughs> right. pictures we have for measuring the track. The the race car does the best job of that. So right. you just have to go, you know, trust your gut sometimes and and experience. You know, like going into the final round at at Pomona. Are you you know we knew it was going to be good. And we, we, we had struggled, you know, a little bit last few races of the year when the tracks got really good, uh, keeping up with clutch wear. So that was kind of, so we, we actually did something a little bit, um, I don't know, it was maybe a little bit off the wall for the final round. It's something a lot of people wouldn't do. We actually detuned it a little bit just, okay. so, it wouldn't wear, just so it wouldn't wear so much clutch because we knew it had enough power to run whatever we wanted to run, you know, provided uh, the clutch would, you know, participate, right? So <laughs> right. Um, we, we didn't want to nuke the clutch out of it and, and have the thing slow down because of that. So we actually took a little bit of power out of it, and, and we ran, you know, pretty much the number. We were looking anywhere from – yeah, you know, sixty-seven to sixty-five, something in that range, and and uh, we hit it pretty close and got the win. Yeah, no, that's that's really neat, and and I'm sure that requires a, a degree of self-control and almost maturity that um, a, a younger guy may not have. Right, that idea of like, all right, listen, this this sounds like the worst thing in the world, but I know I know it's what we need to do, and and like I guess I guess like you said, that's where that's where the experience comes in, being able to. I guess push yourself a little bit in that direction that seems risky, but kind of also understanding that it's the right move to make. Yeah, for sure. Brian looked at me a little weird when I suggested <laughs> that we do that, <laughs> but 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 he went along with it, and uh, and and you know it, it all turned out good. So, well, Alan, what are so the yeah, th- experience is a big thing when it comes to that. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure, and and you know, putting all the pressures aside, I guess you just have to go back to the raw, the raw facts of the of the moment. Like, what does the racetrack look like, and and what do I think I can get out of this car? Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is is I often hear from from fans and stuff like that, and I do you know a fair amount of historical content and stuff, and people say, well, you know, there's no innovation in drag racing anymore. Nobody innovates. Nobody does anything, and you know, frankly, that's what your business is. And, and, and at AJPE, I mean, the, the parts that you're creating, uh, you and others in the industry are innovations. And no, they're not, 
you know, they're basically enhancements and improvements on an existing theme. But, you know, help me help me defend myself here. And these people say innovation is dead in drag racing. Well, when it comes to hard parts, you know, like superchargers and um, uh, cylinder heads, you know, their box is pretty tight on yeah. stuff like that. So not a lot we can do there. Obviously, you know, anytime we build a part that is a um, that's in that performance controlled box by NHRA, we have to submit it for approval, right? So their 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 tendency for them these days is to not approve much of that stuff, especially <laughs> in the cylinder head department. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but there's other things that, that we do. Like, so our big our big push here at AJPE now is to make parts that, you know, even though they may be the same part performance-wise, we're trying to build stuff that, that lasts longer okay. and, and that we can build cheaper so that we can sell it to the racer at a, at a lower cost just so we can, you know, in an attempt to control the cost of yep. drag racing. And if anything, you know, make it go the other way. Would, is kind of a push that we're making right now. So we made a little bit of headway on that, and um, that's kind of the, the focus that we're going to have, you know, moving forward next few years. Is it fair to say, and and economically, you know, obviously we got some new top fuel teams coming in this year, and and I think you know, knock on wood, this is a trend we're going to hopefully see over the next couple of seasons. Is the is the number of teams growing? Does that help at all in terms of? I mean parts pricing i mean do more teams equal more volume of parts equal potentially lower prices is that or or is there not enough even when you add like say let's say you add four or five teams is that not enough necessarily volume wise to move the needle well you know it kind of depends on how your how your you know factory set up i yeah. suppose um you know but but we we do a pretty good job of of efficiently producing our stuff yeah. so uh, you know that a few more teams is really going to move the needle on what we do here, uh, but what it does do is is you know it creates a, a good healthy used parts um, yes. market, which is important for uh, lower funded teams because you know there some of the some of the well funded teams they you know they don't they don't buy parts and run them until they wear out you know right. they, they'll put it'll put x amount of number of runs on them and decide okay i don't this thing doesn't owe me any, anything i i need to sell it now while it's still worth good money and they may buy it then sell it for you know 50 or 60 cents on the dollar uh, and then that, that really helps out the lower funded teams and and the poor, because all of those performance you know, parts or in a box controlled by NHRA doesn't really matter if you're buying used parts and new parts. Your car is still going to run the same. Yeah, that makes that makes good sense actually. So, a, a, you know, a used set of heads, assuming you have uh, you know had the machine properly and you got good valve springs and valves and stuff in them, on paper should perform just as well as a new set out of the box. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at some of the trends um, in this coming season, we look at you know. Uh, in, in my opinion, the, the positive news that uh, we're adding some cars, performance-wise, you know, do you think the cars have a lot of room to grow? Is it fully kind of dependent on atmosphere? Um, do you think we're going to see an all three hundred and sixty qualified top fuel field this year? No, I don't. I don't think you'll see that that this year. Uh, and it's, and I, if you notice, you know, there hasn't been. Uh, occasionally we'll see some increase in speed, but, but yeah. not like, not like leaps and bounds, no. just, you know, maybe a quarter of a mile an hour, a half a mile an hour. So not a lot, there's not a lot there because of the, the rev limiter just kind of limits what we can do there. Right. So, and then the rest of it is just, you know, the racetracks 
you control the ET. So uh, if you get to a really great racetrack that has really good air, sure, you're going to see some some really good numbers. But like I've said before, everything has to go right, you know. So you, to get it all 60 field, you'd have to have 16 cars where right. they were able to make, you know, at least one qualifying where everything went right. Well, yeah, that's pretty tough. You know, <laughs> that's, for 16 cars, that's pretty tough, especially if you, if you, you know, understand how the cars work. It's sometimes amazing that they do what they do. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and you're right. And that is the stretch. It's, it's, it's always the back part of the field, you know, and, and when fans ask me this question, it's like, well, I said, you can look at the entry list and you can look at who you think is going to end up 14, 15 and 16. And then you can ask yourself, can that car run 369? <laughs> and a lot of times, yeah. and a lot of times the honest answer is no. Um, but I guess, you know, in time, hopefully we continue this trend of growth and the number of full-time and, and serious part-time teams continues to increase, um, giving us a better opportunity at that. So uh, for 2024, uh, stability on the Doug Coletta team, you guys have been able to retain the majority of the uh, the crew guys on that car? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, you know, that would be, uh, would be the first time ever that you'd win a championship and then your crew quit. That's <laughs> that that doesn't happen very often. So yeah, they're they're all there, uh, and they're excited to race again next year and 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 uh, win another championship. I mean, I think back to back certainly a legitimate goal, right? Oh, a legitimate goal, and and certainly with the way the car uh, the way the car was 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 working at the end of the season and the way Doug was driving, it's certainly a legitimate uh, a legitimate thought as well. So, no, it's great, man. Congratulations again on the season that you had, and uh, certainly look forward to what twenty twenty four has in store, and uh, keep banging out those parts up there in California. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. I'll see you next year. Excited to do it. He's Alan Johnson, championship crew chief for Doug Coletta, and I'll be back right after this with some final thoughts. And so there we have it. That is the final interview of the 2023 NHRA drag racing season. When we return here in the NHRA Insider Podcast after the new year, we'll be talking about the Mission Foods Drag Racing Series, a new dawn, if you will, in the world of NHRA championship drag racing, one that I think all of us are looking forward to for a myriad of different aspects, and we'll be talking about all of them when we return. As always, thank you so much for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. It is uh, unequivocally the biggest, most downloaded, most listened to podcast in the sport of drag racing. And it's one that I certainly appreciate you all paying attention to. Whether you love it, whether you hate it, whether you gnash your teeth when you're listening, I appreciate your time and sincerely, sincerely enjoy making these shows. I wish you all a very happy holiday season, no matter what you're celebrating or who you're celebrating with. I hope it is fulfilling for you. I hope you're able to enjoy it with the people that you love, with the family members, friends, and uh, whether it's racing family, whether it's blood relatives, please enjoy the time. Please get ready for 2024, and please prepare yourself for what promises to be a banner year in the sport of drag racing, not just in the NHRA, but around the country and potentially around the world. Thank you all so much. I'm Brian Loans, and I'll be back to see you when the new year breaks in 2024 here on the NHRA Insider Podcast.